You are listening to the No Formula Podcast, episode number 38. Welcome back to where we chat with a different entrepreneur every week. From app developers, sales experts, and coaches, to authors and social media influencers, we focus on their journeys, how they built their businesses, and the lessons they learned along the way. Together, we confirm that there is no formula to success. I want to thank all the listeners that have been supporting the No Formula podcast. A special thank you to Ixila underscore 27, who gave the podcast five stars and left a review saying insightful and fun. I especially like the overarching themes identified at the end of each podcast. They're great summaries. For the chance of getting into the next episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe. In today's episode, we chat with Eric Bergman, co-founder of Katina Media and founder of Great.com. After playing poker for several years, he started affiliate marketing for casinos. Working alongside his childhood friend, Emil, their business exploded. By the time Eric was 20 years old, Katina Media was valued at 400 million US dollars. In this episode, Eric reveals some of the setbacks he faced as his business quickly grew. He tells us about the moment he became a millionaire and how to set goals for ultimate success. Listen to Eric's podcast called Becoming Great and check out his organization, great.com, that donates 100% of its profits to climate change initiatives. In the meantime, keep listening to hear how he would attack affiliate marketing today and, of course, his formula to success. Hi, Eric. Thank you so much for being on the No Formula podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. I love this. Okay, so I just want to get this out of the way because everyone is wondering about this. You made $50 million before you were 30 years old. Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to get it out there. Now, <laughs> before we dive into that, I want to go into the journey on what led, what exactly you did to lead to getting $50 million before you were 30. And I know that there were a few points in your life that kind of shaped how this happened. And I know when you were around four years old, you would collect cans with your brother and you would pick them up and you would return them to the store to make, you know, the five cents in exchange. And I know you did that. And then I know at 18 years old, you actually started playing online poker, right? And I feel those are very important parts in your life because they kind of uh, they shaped like your entrepreneurial spirit, and then they also shaped your desire to build wealth. So I want to kind of start with the the online gaming and how you got into that, and what happened when you started winning. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. So first and foremost, teeny tiny disclaimer on online poker. It was fairly easy to make money when I started in two thousand and five. It's mm -hmm. really hard today. So anyone trying to become a poker professional today is in for a much, much harder time than I was. Uh, but regardless, I actually started playing poker when I was 16. I, my, I borrowed my friend's calculator on a physics class, and it was more fun to play the games he had on his calculator, and one of them was poker. So I started playing poker <laughs> against the machine on his calculator when I was 16, and we started talking about poker and this was poker was just booming in the world. And we went uh, after class to buy a tiny uh, kit of poker chips for 20 bucks or something. And I still have this box of poker chips at home. And it's like no singular item that I've ever owned have had a bigger impact on my life than that little box of plastic chips. Cause we started playing poker more or less I don't know, probably five hours a day in school, every class that we could get away from our teacher and between every class. And I just fell in love with the math, the logic, the psychology behind it. Uh, I've always loved playing board games and card games. It, everything around it just was the first time I felt I'm really, really good at something. I think I don't think I had that experience before that this is mm -hmm. something that I'm mastering in whenever we were playing sports and stuff in school, I was always above average, but not really more than, more than above average. I was the same in most topics in school. I was above average, but not necessarily brilliant. 
Uh, but poker, I fell madly in love with, and it was the first time. Um, it was the first time that I kind of typed in the cheat code of life, which I believe is when you unleash joy on something. Because if you're really enjoying what you're doing, time flies. You're dreaming about it. You're thinking about it. You're talking about it with all of your friends who they get tired of hearing about poker because they don't care. But that's what happens when joy gets involved. Suddenly, I believe my entire brain got focused on it in a different way. So this, this just made me really good at playing poker because I was living and, and breathing poker. And yeah, that's when I started to make money from it at 18 because I, I started playing online before 18. I had a fake passport, but yeah, that's, that's, that's long gone now. <laughs> People have fake IDs and Eric had a fake passport. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I had a fake passport. It was good for Photoshop. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay, so you start winning and then you start promoting these online gambling websites and and th this is kind of what led to like affiliate marketing if i understood correctly yes. so i started playing poker professionally and made quite a lot of money from it uh, but what happens when you're playing poker professionally is that you end up paying somewhere between two and ten thousand dollars a month in different fees so it's very expensive to play because you're always playing on an online casino and stuff like that and they charge you so what you can do then is that you can get something called rake back, which means that you get back about half of this money if you have a certain deal and the right connections and stuff like that. So I managed to get those kind of deals with different poker rooms. And then I helped other people to play on my terms. So I got 55% of all their fees, but I, I gave them 50 as a thank you. So I only kept a small cut, which was affiliate marketing very early on. This was 2006, seven, something like that. Mm -hmm. So this was when I first got introduced to performance-based marketing in the sense that if I get a client, I get paid by the poker room or the casino and it, it started scaling from there. And the first time we actually did this, I t spoke to friends and I just put up notes in school about, hey, do you want to play online poker? Let me know, which was probably not really what my school <laughs> wanted me to do. <laughs> and I had friends putting up at different schools around Sweden as well. Mm -hmm. But it was thanks to that I got into this industry later on. I got to know a lot of people and like school probably didn't agree, <laughs> but I, I'd never got in problem for it. So... You start, you start this affiliate marketing, you start making money, but at what point did you start losing the money? So I, I grew up, I was a really lonely kid growing up. I didn't have many friends. And then when I was 13, my family moved and we were living outside of the city. And I got into the district, which belonged to like the fancy school in my hometown. So I switched schools and somehow I managed to, to get friends. And I didn't really have friends before, but all of these friends were much more rich and fancy than I was. I was a very normal uh, person and they had these cars and the houses and everything. And I always felt inferior to them. I always felt that I didn't really belong. And then suddenly when I started playing poker, I made much more money than they did. So I wanted everyone to see this. I wanted to show that now I'm finally good enough. So I spent that money on expensive clothes, car, fancy TV, champagne, an apartment, all these things. And it was fine as long as I was winning. And I actually didn't really start losing, but I stopped winning. And I had adapted a lifestyle which was very expensive. Like I wanted, suddenly money was my identity. And for the first time, I actually felt that I was good enough. So then I felt I need to keep up with this kind of spend rate and with no money coming in and no financial knowledge before that and haven't saved up anything, I kind of spent myself broke and had to move back in with my, my parents, had to get a regular job and kind of have to figure things out again. And is that when you started the web agency? Yes, I, I took a job. Uh, moving boxes for a postal company, a huge postal company mm -hmm. uh, for like a month. And I realized <laughs> this is not what I want to do. I took my first salary and put it back in the poker room. Uh, it went pretty well that time as well. Uh, <laughs> but I felt that I, 
uh, I wanted to do something else as well. So I started different business ideas, failed multiple times. One of them was the web agency where we tried to build web, small websites for hairdressers and printer shops and shoe shops and stuff like that. The problem with all those kind of clients is that they don't have much money. They're really complicated to deal with. Uh, they are never satisfied and they have so much skin in the game. Those we charge 500 euros for a website, $500 or whatever it was. And that was a lot of money for them. If you were mm -hmm. a big company, they would just, <laughs> but yeah. a small company like that's, you need to do something really good. So it mm -hmm. was a really shitty business idea, but we learned a lot from it. <laughs> <laughs> and so where, how did you move on from there? You tried all doing all these websites and then what happened? Yeah, so we started building websites for our own because we didn't get enough clients. We didn't have enough work. So we started actually doing, and I came from poker and the poker room I was playing for uh, had a sister brand, which was a bingo brand called Maria Bingo. And this was bingo online was completely new. No one was playing bingo online. So we started building websites with information about bingo online. Where can you play? What are the rules? What bonuses do you get? How do you deposit money? All of these things. And we built websites like that with our own skill sets and hoping to make money from that. And the first three months we made zero. So we actually gave up that project and started doing all kinds of other things. Try to build a poker software, try to do all kinds of stuff. And we failed at those as well. Uh, but let, a year later, we looked back into these bingo accounts uh, that we had built up and realized that, hey, we actually made $1,000 here. And that was the first out of many failed attempts at business where somehow it actually worked. So this is now 2008, nine, somewhere like that. I'm 20, 21 years old. And we realized, okay, let's put our attention to this. And the year after that, we managed to make maybe $10,000. So it wasn't really, it wasn't big by any means, it was $400 per person per month or something like, we're two yeah. people, me and my childhood friend, Emil. But it was enough to keep us going. And that's where it kind of the business really started to take off. And it was your first taste of affiliate marketing. So just out of curiosity, do you think affiliate market is the same as it was in 2009? I mean, in a nutshell, it's the same. So affiliate marketing is basically you advertise someone else's product mm -hmm. and you take a commission for, for the sell. Mm -hmm. And that is the same. And there are hundreds more opportunities to do it now but there is also a lot more uh, competition mm -hmm. but i still believe it's a brilliant business model because you don't need you don't need to take a lot of risk you don't need to develop a lot of products yourself you don't need a lot of customer support you don't need big sales team or anything like that you can just start selling someone else's product and the only thing you need to learn is basically one way or another online marketing through through any channel out there Mm -hmm. So I do have questions for you about online marketing later, but before, <laughs> but before we get into that, you start bingo, you start making $10,000. This is what turned into Katena. That's, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Katina Media. Katina Media. So can you tell us a little bit more about Katina Media? Okay. So we're, when we, when we made $10,000 in a year, we felt like, okay, let's, let's give this our full attention. And we're now in 2010, I'm 22 years old, and we decide to, uh, to quit our other businesses and other jobs and just go all in on this. And we managed to get it up to like $3,000 a month to actually make a living out of it. We keep most of the money in the company, but we take out a little salary. We turn off the water heater between showers because we couldn't really afford electricity. We were living together, me, Emil, and my girlfriend uh, in a small apartment. And like, let's make this going. And we had a lot of fun. We didn't have any rules. We didn't have any plans. We were just playing around with it. And it started to go really, really well. So what we actually got good at was how to rank high up in Google, search engine optimization. How do you get to the top of Google? And we started doing this for bingo, for business cards, insurances, you name it, we probably tried it. And anything that worked, we did more of. And what didn't work, we just threw away. And we started making quite significant money by 2011. I think we went up to probably 
$20,000 a month by the end of 2011, maybe 30 even. So then it started to go really big, but we didn't have any team. We didn't really know what we were going to do. We didn't have any real goals. We were just playing around with it. Uh, had a small office. We were usually working in our boxer shorts, like throwing rubber gums at each other. Um, <laughs> like everyone is right now, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we were basically Corona, but in yeah. 2011. <laughs> Uh, and 2012, we felt, okay, it's time to, to grow up. We want to turn this into a real business. We want to be able to explain to our parents what it is that we're doing. And we got in contact with a couple of investors who had just sold their company. And they wanted to, to get into affiliate marketing. They came from the casino industry and I just sold a big online casino. And we ended up selling half the business to them in October 2012. So I'm 24 at the time at a valuation of, uh, $700,000, give or take. They bought half the company. And this became Katina Media. So then we shifted all our focus to, uh, to the casino industry and took this knowledge that we already had about how to rank high up in Google and put it into casinos. We started building a lot of websites about uh, online casino and give the same kind of guidance that we did with Bingo. And in 2013, we started hiring a lot of people. We never hired people before. We didn't know how to do that. So we hired 10, 12 people. We got an office, uh, got fancy things, big goals, big dreams, a lot of stress. And we ended up getting sued by our landlord for some shitty situation and almost went bankrupt. It was so much stress, so much panic, so much chaos. And I just, I had a bottle of whiskey next to my bed every evening because I couldn't fall asleep because my brain was just spinning so much. If I didn't drink, I didn't sleep. And I just have this vivid images in my head. I'm twirling around in sweaty sheets at night because I can't sleep. Um, and we managed to get, get out of it alive. We settled out of court with this landlord. So it cost us maybe $100,000, something like that. Um, and we managed to get back on our, our feet. And then 2014, 15, 16, everything that we just touched turned to gold. It was still the same kind of business idea, but all the projections that I had did that I thought would take six months had taken like 12, 18 months, something like that. And, but they still worked. So what we did was basically rank high up in, in Google on keywords relating to, to casino help casinos get clients, help people find their bonuses and their offers. And it grew really big, really quick after that. So on, the, uh, on my 28th birthday, actually mine and Emil's, my co-founder's birthday, we were born on the same day in the same hospital by parents who knew each other. So we're, <laughs> we're oh been together God. for a while. So you guys have known <laughs> each other for a little while. <laughs> yeah, literally as long as humanly possible. <laughs> Uh, and on our 28th birthday, uh, we took the company to the stock exchange together with a brilliant team and the investors and these guys. And then it got valued at $200 million. So the investors got a good deal at 700K. Um, and both me and Emil sold a lot of shares that day. So that day I sold shares for about $15 million. And yeah, obviously that changed a lot of things. That's the short Katina journey. Yeah. So, but okay. So just one step back when things started getting stressful, you started hiring a lot of people. How old were you at that point? So I was 24 when we started hiring a lot of people. 24, 25 was the most chaotic time. Then we were probably 10 employees plus me and Emil, something like that. And so that means you have to start like learning how to manage people and with teams and delegating and like kind yeah. of building up the value. Know, I didn't know any about that. <laughs> so how did you, how did you figure it out? I didn't. I uh -oh. had a bottle of whiskey next to my bed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I guess that, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't figure it out. I mean, I, I learned on the job and mm -hmm. it definitely took time. I mean, the most stress back in 2015, uh, I think we were about 30 people and we were re redoing our employment agreements because we were preparing for the stock exchange and we needed to have them written in a different way than they were because obviously we didn't have proper agreements. And I handed all of these agreements out on a Friday 
and they were just better for all the employees. There was nothing changed that went for the worse. And I just thought, okay, let's steal them, hand them out, let people read them over the weekend and sign on Monday. And on Monday, I come into the office and it's like a war zone. People are furious and so angry and I don't understand shit. Then someone has misunderstood what it says in the, in the agreement. So the agreement basically states, uh, everything that you do during your employment is owned by Katina Media, which roughly translates to everything we pay you for, we own. But people understood that like everything you do in your free time, if you're doing music or writing a book or doing art, that Katina Media owns it. And someone was a, had studied law and he said this to everyone else. So everyone thought that we were kind of making them our human, like our slaves or something. Mm-hmm. And we're pissed off. And I did not handle this situation well. Uh, I said that people were replaceable. So we kind of need to figure this out. And then someone <laughs> told everyone that I told everyone that they were replaceable. So eight people quit in a week because of a misunderstanding. And that was the like eight people that were closest to me that have worked with me for the longest, most of them at least. And yeah, I think it was just me not dealing with it well. I, I should have just realized they were just afraid of us trying mm-hmm. to take things from them, which obviously wasn't their attention. And I should have listened much more to them. I should have sit down and have a calm conversation instead. I just thought they were stupid. And <laughs> I, I mean, I, I didn't know how to do these things. I fucked mm. up a lot and I'm not going to do that mistake again. I'm never <laughs> again sending up new agreements on a Friday, just waiting to sign them on a Monday. But I had to do the mistakes to kind of learn from them. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great story. And, and, I know that at first you said you guys hired 12 people, but then very quickly, just so the listeners understand how quickly you grew, you guys had like acquired or merged with so many different companies and eventually you got to like 350 employees. Yeah, I think they're almost 400 today. And yeah, uh, which so is... Here we were 10, then 30, then 90, and 180, 250, 300, something like that. So it was just massive growth so quickly which i can't even imagine the stress that's why like when you say whiskey i'm just like i understand (laughs) it's just that is crazy and i know based off i've I've listened to another podcast that you're in and i know that although you had made i don't know 50 million dollars whatever it was on your 28th birthday actually personally it felt like you took a hit right? You were super overwhelmed, super stressed. Emil, your, your partner was also the same way. You had broken up with your girlfriend. In that moment, when all that stuff happened at the same time, do you think it was worth all the effort to make all that money? So I think what, what's important to know about entrepreneurship and the success stories you hear is that it takes an incredible amount of luck to get there. Mm -hmm. Luck was by far the most important factor in my career. It was luck that I picked up my friend's calculator. It was luck that the right person saw the flyer about poker and introduced me to bingo. It was luck that I ended up being born on the same day in the same hospital as a computer genius. He built his first calculator when he was eight. It was luck. Uh, And looking back, I mean, it's worth it now. I'm very healthy. I feel very well. I have all the freedom in my life, but it was luck. Mm -hmm. I think 99 times from 100, it wouldn't have been worth it because I would have crashed. If So I like to see it as, imagine running down a steep hill Mm -hmm. and you're kind of losing control, but as long as you're on your feet, you're okay. You don't have control, but you're on your feet. And to me, it was like this for three years running downhill. And I managed to not fall, which was luck, not skill. If my mother would have gotten cancer or my girlfriend would have broken up with me uh, at another stage, or uh, if some business deal would have fallen through, I would have fallen and I would just have scratched all my face, all my body falling down this hill and I would probably not have been able to stand up again. But that didn't happen, and that was luck. 
But if that would have happened, the company would have gone bankrupt because without me at that stage, it wouldn't have worked. I would probably have messed up all of my relationships because I would have crashed completely and it would totally not have been worth it. So looking back, I would probably have made the same decisions all over again, but without luck, I would have failed. And I mean, it's very easy to say, of course it was worth it right now because I made it. It's like trying to throw a basketball from one side of the court to the other and you managed to get it into the hoop. Of course it was made worth it because you tried. It's mm -hmm. not really a good decision, but it was worth it. So it's, it's complicated. I'd say it was many stupid decisions. And when people compare their story with my story, or when someone compare themselves with Elon Musk or Richard Branson or Warren Buffett or whoever, it's so easy to miss out on the importance of luck in everyone's story, regardless if that is being born in the same next to the, like the hospital bed next to a computer genius. I mean, that wasn't skill. All, a lot of these things were ridiculously lucky and I would have made it anyway. But when I say made it, I would probably reached financial freedom to some extent. I would have become my own boss. I'm pretty sure about that. But maybe I would have made $1 million instead of 50. So 49 was luck, one was skill. <laughs> uh, something like that. And with 1 million, it wouldn't have been worth it. And it was only 1 million that was skill. I love that answer because so many people, when they start entrepreneurship, a business, they envision this million dollar life where everything is perfect and every and that's the goal and that's that's like what success is in society right but then also you just flat out tell everyone like some of it is luck and you and you have to have it and and i also know that when you made that 50 million dollars you were on the high for like two weeks and then after it was like kind of like your new normal yeah, I mean, I think every goal that we set in our life, uh, more or less, is created in our imagination. That we think that we want something, but usually we mm. have absolutely no idea. Like a friend of mine, he was dreaming about becoming a pilot since he was like six years old. He was dreaming about becoming a pilot. And then he took the classes, he paid the extremely expensive tuition, he became a pilot. Two weeks in, he hated the job. He was like, what the fuck is this? I'm a glorified bus driver. This is really boring. So he had been dreaming about this for, I don't know, 15 years, but he didn't know what being a commercial pilot meant. So he actually was dreaming about something completely different. He just didn't know. And I think it's the same if you bec uh, become a doctor, you're like, I want to be a doctor, but you don't really know what it means. Or you want to be an entrepreneur, but you don't really know what it means. I want to be rich but you just invented the idea of how it will feel to do that. Like, I want to climb Mount Everest. It's like, yeah, you can climb Mount Everest, but it's not going to be what you expect it to be. And I think that's what happened to me as well, that I was thinking that if I only reached money, every other problem would go away. And a lot of problem goes away if you have money. Money makes life a lot easier in many ways. But a lot of the very important aspects of life actually gets more complicated with money. Like a love relationship is complicated with money because if one person have shitloads of money and the other person don't, then you lose a lot of the equality that is crucial in a relationship. It's really hard to have a good relationship if you're not feeling equal to each other. And it's the same thing with friendships. It's complicated if you have tens of millions of dollars and the other people are bus drivers it's, it makes, you have different problems, it's harder to connect to each other and harder to do these things. It doesn't immediately fix your health. I mean, I was in a state where I'd been working way more than was healthy, drinking more than was healthy. And I woke up and I was like, fuck, I haven't cared about myself or my physical experience in, in a long time. And, and all of these things come and it kind of shows that okay, I kind of thought all of these problems would go away magically by me having money, but they kind of just got worse. And without love relationships, without friendships, without health, life is still pretty shitty. Mm. And I'm just lucky that I had time to fix that. I'm lucky that this happened at age 28 and not 68, looking back and realized, holy fuck, I messed up life completely. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I woke up. So I was super excited uh, after this IPO, taking the company stock market. I was dancing around. I was singing for myself and it, it didn't last long. I mean, no feeling lasts very long. Mm-hmm. For entrepreneurs who have these goals, especially when they're money oriented, or just any goals. When people are making goals, do you have advice for people before they start taking the steps towards these goals? So personally, I believe that just looking at myself, I, I've given myself very arbitrary goals in the past. I've just taken some idea out of nowhere, and then I said that I'm going to do it, and then I kind of tie it towards my ego and my self-worth, and I go for it, and I don't give up. But it's very rarely that I've given a lot of time to what kind of goal I actually want. It's like once I made a bet with myself uh, that I was going to work out every day for a year. And I told everyone that I was going to work out every day for a year. And six months in, I was still working out every day. I hated working out. I woke up having nightmares that I had forgotten to work out because that would mean that the six months of suffering would have been in vain. And I ended up doing this. I did, I did it for the full 12 months. And then I didn't work out for two years because I hated working out. So the total effect of it was that I started to hate working out, which is a really shitty goal. And I got it myself somewhat of a story or some ego boast, but it was a shitty goal where a much better goal would have been, okay, I want to find a way that I love working out. I want to work out three days a week and I want to feel passionately about it which might not have given the same, wouldn't be a good story. It wouldn't have been ego boast, wouldn't have been, but it wouldn't have been suffering either. Maybe I would start trying 20 different sports. Like I want to try rock climbing. I want to try motocross. I want to try tennis. I want to try football. I want to try all of these different things and end up falling in love with three sports. And suddenly I would easily work out three times a week for the next 20 years. But instead I did it this way. So I think, a lot of people just take a number. I want to have a million dollars or I want to build a company with 20 employees. And they have no idea what that means. Instead of saying, I want to do something that makes me happy. I want to create freedom for myself. I think a really good goal that I think everyone would benefit from having is I want to make $1 online. Because I think just making $1 will shift your mindset. It's like when I was four years old and collecting soda cans and returning them to the store for five cents. I'm already there figuring out that, hey, I can come up with my own ways of making money. And if you make $1 online, you can make 10. If you can make 10, you can make 100. You can make 1,000. You can make 10,000. But you need to make one. And that's the like most crucial thing. And just asking yourself, okay, how could I make $1 online? I mean, I'm sure you could easily get $1 worth of ads on this podcast right now and that could be i don't know if you've ever made a dollar online before that's like your first dollar but that's what anyone could do and it's a big thing uh, i think that's a that's a great goal a million dollars is a shitty goal one dollar is a great goal oh i love that i absolutely love that and it's just because now i'm getting to more into like your your mindset and I want to know, a lot of people say that before, before you succeed, people would say, it, you have to like change as a person. You have to shift mindsets. When, before you succeeded, do, do you know or do you remember a point where you know you had to change maybe your point of view of something? You had to just change your mindset to become the person you are today? It's an interesting question. No, I don't think so. I think that I, I think that I'm, I've been always just doing things because I enjoy them. Mm-hmm. I often get the question, when did you decide to be an entrepreneur? It's mm-hmm. like, I, I didn't know what an entrepreneur was until I was <laughs> one. I didn't know what that word meant until I was 22 or something. Uh, then I've been an entrepreneur. I think that I became an entrepreneur when I was four. Mm-hmm. Uh, started doing things to make money and collecting things, but I, I did it for the joy of it. So I think that a crucial thing that you need to change to succeed is you need to believe that it's possible. I think that 
the main reason why people don't start businesses is it's not lack of ideas, it's lack of belief in themselves. It's the thought that is really hard. It's the fear of failing. I mean, you don't have to fail, but failing is part of the process many of the times. But if you, if you, let's say you start a podcast and you're not doing that as a business, you're doing it as a hobby. And then suddenly you get some people listening to it and you get an Instagram account and then you do this and you do that. And like, Hey, I could actually do a paid partnerships with the, an email software because I have entrepreneurs listening to this. And then suddenly your hobby became a business, but there were no time that you could have failed because it was just a hobby. You were just starting a podcast because it was fun. And if you wouldn't have enjoyed, enjoyed it after four episodes, you would have just quit. And it's not like you failed podcasting. It was just wasn't fun. It's like you mm. start, start playing the violin. If you go to four classes and then you stop, it's not like you failed violin. It's like violin sucks. I don't want to do that. So I think a mindset that is important is trying things and mm. seeing things as hobbies rather than than businesses. I didn't, I mean, Katina was a hobby for the first two years. Mm-hmm. It wasn't meant to be a big publicly traded company. It was a fun thing. I love that. It's, it's just your perspective of, of being a hobby. And actually that's how I started the podcast as well. It was, it's a hobby, right? And now people are like, oh, well, why don't you monetize it? Oh, why don't you do this? Why you're getting traction? And I'm like, hmm. But yeah, I love that. It was a great example because I'm like, yeah, same. (laughs) (laughs) That's all it takes. And it's so scary to say, I'm going to say, start a company. I'm Mm going to be an entrepreneur because then suddenly people are going to say, oh, who does Laura think that she is? Uh, She's just, uh, but then like, hey, I'm going to start this as a fun little little trick and see what happens. And yeah, it's almost, you have fun with it, it can work. It's taking away the pressure of having to like make money or being successful when it's a hobby, you just try it out. And then I like that your advice is just continue trying hobbies and seeing if you like them and then roll with it. Love it. It can be anything. Do you think anyone can be a millionaire? Definitely. Being a millionaire is pretty easy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um, Can I know the secret? (laughs) So, I mean, I like what, Warren Buffett is like one of the richest investors in the world. Yeah. He, he got the question like, okay, why, if your strategy is so simple, why don't everyone copy it? Mm-hmm. And he said, because no one wants to get rich slowly. Mm-hmm. And that's what I believe. I, I think that entrepreneurship is not hard. It's easy, uh, but it's not quick. And this is the thing. People want to make money quick. People want to look for shortcuts. And what they don't realize is that the shortcuts are, as far as I know, all, always wrong. There is very, very few shortcuts. Yeah. Every shortcut is just something that's going to fuck up your journey. And people don't want to do that. I mean, when, if you're just starting learning things and you get 1% better every day for a year, that doesn't sound that much. But that means that you're 37 times better one year from now than you are today. So if you were to get one better, 1% better at podcasting mm-hmm. every day for a year, that's 37 times better because that's what happens when you start growing skills and learning them on top of each other. And it all takes consistency. It takes that you enjoy what you're doing and that you're willing to keep doing at it. But that's not what people do. Uh, people, first and foremost, very few actually try. Very few have started a podcast. Uh, Very few have enjoyed starting a podcast and even fewer have kept going after 10 episodes. There are so many podcasts that start and quit before 10 episodes. And if you just keep doing that and things come from this, you get to know business people, they come ideas. I mean, 10 years from now, I would be very surprised if you're not a millionaire, if you just keep going. But if you've stopped, you're not going to get there. So that's, I believe everyone can do it, but no one can do it in one year without a lot of luck. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everyone can do it in 10 years with hard work and interest. And if you stay consistent, I would, I I would be surprised with people failing over a lifetime, but very few stay consistent. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I love the consistency factor of 1%. And then when people keep doing it, you can just 
you multiply your expertise and eventually you learn how to make money from it. Yeah. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received from someone? Something that changed my life um, more than anything, I think, wasn't really... It was when I read the book Nonviolent Communication by an author named Marshall Rosenberg. And he's just a genius, or he was a genius. It's, it's a book about how you turn any relationship into a deep and meaningful relationship, basically. It's about how to actually connect with people and understand people. And when I read that book, I learned how to listen and the importance of listening. I've always been a talker always been a talker. When I was a kid, my friends called me the radio because I wouldn't shut up. And it's just a really, it's not an optimal way of getting to know people, but always talking because you never got to hear anything about them and no one feels that you're interested in them. And to be honest, I wasn't. But that book taught me how to listen and it taught me how to listen to uh, Johanna, my girlfriend. We broke up after the IPO and we're back together now. And a big part of that is actually that book uh, because I learned that I didn't really listen to her. I didn't give her enough space. When we were having tough conversations, I always felt that I had the answers and she needed a lot more time to think than I did. So I always started talking the second she got quiet and that didn't necessarily mean that she was done talking, but I started talking. So Mm -hmm. just shifting into listening and when having a tough conversation with anyone, just not, not not interrupting at all. Give it, if they're not looking into your eyes and you kind of feel their energy is, I want you to talk because you know that energy. We all know that energy. Mm-hmm. But if they're still looking out in space, give them 20 seconds of silence because a lot of the time they're still thinking and you're just taking them off track. And if they just feel heard, I think that, of all divorces out there happens because people don't hear each other. Uh, And I think that would just focus on listening. Uh, Yeah, that's a long answer to a short question. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it was great. Thank you for explaining. (laughs) So this podcast is called the No Formula Podcast because there is no formula to success. Everyone has their own formula, right? So I want to ask you, what do you think is your formula that you created to your success? Mm, That's another beautiful question. My formula. So I think that a very big part of my formula is is joy. Mm -hmm. It's crucial to have fun with what I do. If I'm not having fun, I'll stop doing it. And I'll ask myself, how can I find a fun way of doing this? And even if that takes longer, even if it is worse somehow, I choose that way of doing it because I believe that will make me keep doing it and if I keep doing it once again if I get one percent better every day for a year it's 37 times better it's a big impact and I'm not saying I'm ever ever succeeding to get one percent better every day but it kind of get the point Mm -hmm. the joy is a very important thing and to find joy testing a lot of things is a very important thing so trying a lot of things out and not losing out on on the joy in the process so the first step for me is to if I have fun, then that's purpose in itself. If I can then do something that is fun that I'm learning from, so I continuously get better at it, then those two things alone is definitely worth it. I don't need to make any money if I'm having fun and I'm learning stuff. That's like purpose right there. Mm-hmm. Third step in this is, can I add value to other people? So if I'm having fun, I'm learning stuff and you're learning stuff. That's like, hey, I'm really doing something meaningful here with my life and I'm loving it. And then in the fourth step, think, okay, how can I scale this to help more people or scale this to make money? If that comes at fourth, then you're never going to give up because there is no reason to give up something that is fun that you learn from and you teach others. Mm -hmm. But what so many try to do is to start with step number four. It's asking myself, I'm going to start a podcast to make money or I'm going to start an Instagram account to make money. And they're not asking themselves, how can I have fun or how can I learn or how can I teach? They're asking themselves, how can I make money or how can I get followers and social validation or status or whatever it is? And it's really, really hard to make money if you're not having fun. 
uh, and it's I would say borderline impossible to build a large business if you're not having fun. I love that. What a great formula. It's all the things that people want in life, but kind of push aside to make that money that they're aiming for. And you're like, no, no, no. In my formula, you have to have fun. You have to have purpose to try things. And that's how I put it all together and I succeeded. I love it. Thank so you. for everyone who doesn't know, which I'm pretty sure everyone knows now, but you are, you've mastered SEO, affiliate marketing, email marketing, and now even personal branding on Instagram. And I'm sure we can talk about every single one of those things in different interviews, which we can if you want. <laughs> but I'm happy to come back. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> but just before we finish this interview, I kind of just want to ask you a few questions on affiliate marketing, marketing, like just quick questions to give people some of your expertise. Okay. So first and foremost, what do you think people get wrong about affiliate marketing? That it's too late. I think that's a common thing. People think that it's too hard or too late. Oh, and that's yeah, a good one. I still believe it's the best time ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's coming from someone who started this 10, 10 years ago. Yeah. First affiliate thing was 12, 14 years ago. Yeah. So if you're still saying that it's the best time ever, then I believe you. <laughs> okay. What do you think is the number one component people have to understand in affiliate marketing to be successful with it? Long-term thinking. So I think that's the mm. my number one component in pretty much everything that has to do with success or happiness mm. or relationship. Long-term thinking. We are all trying to do things today for tomorrow, possibly, but very few of us plan for a year ahead or 10 years ahead. Mm -hmm. And life is easy if you do the I mean, you know what you need to do to be happy 10 years from now, but you rarely do the th those things. Very few do. But if you're just planning for, okay, I want Laura to be this, this, and this by 2030, you know what to do. You know what to eat. You know who to talk to. You know what podcast to do. You know what books to read. If you just do those things, it's mm -hmm. easy. Uh, it's just to do those things that might not always be so easy. Yeah. And finally, for people just starting affiliate marketing, what is like your top two pieces of advice? Try all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. uh, like there isn't one way to do affiliation. There isn't one way to do business. Uh, I wouldn't focus on SEO. I wouldn't focus on email. I wouldn't focus on Instagram if I didn't enjoy that. Mm -hmm. It's much more important that you have fun with it than that it is the latest approach that you read in a book yeah. or that someone else did or that you heard of. So it's a try lots of, of different things and try lots of different products. I mean, preferably it should be something you're interested in, but I work mainly with casino and personally I don't like casino at all, but I like the process of search engine optimization. I like the process of finding links and understanding Google's algorithm. So it's for me, it's so crucial that it becomes fun. Um, and at least there is a product that I feel some interest in. Uh, so yeah, try lots of different things. I would summarize it with. I love that. And it also goes to show that right now you're working on, on great.com. Can you tell us a little bit more about that before we leave? Sure. So I left Katina Media in uh, 2017. And I've kind of been soul searching what I want to do with my life after that. And I reached the conclusion that I want to change the world and I want to stop climate change. And that's two fairly big things to take on. And my approach to doing that is to build a very large scale affiliate company over the next 50 years, where my goal 50 years from now would be to be the most trusted brand online. Like if you want to go... You want to find uh, the best insurance, you will trust great.com. If you want to buy headphones, you will trust great.com. If you want to buy uh, an email provider, you want to trust great.com. But we're actually testing a lot of things. And over this course of the next 50 years, becomes the brand that people know for that. And we're going to give away all of our profits to protect the environment because 
I luckily don't need any more money, but I still want to add value to the world and the people around us. So in the short term, we're doing this in the casino space. We're building the most trusted brand in the casino space because that's where I'm coming from. That's what I know. That's where all my contacts are. And I want to utilize the skill sets that I built over the last 14 years in that industry. Um, so it starts there, but it's definitely going to grow into all kinds of things. That's just the corner that we're choosing to start with. I love it. I love that if you had a business plan, it would be like long-term goals of 50 years. <laughs> yeah. well, I love I it like so much. If you think about it as 50 years, yeah. it's, it changes so many decisions uh, that you're going to make. And there is some smart saying from some smart guy, uh, probably Donald Duck or I don't know. Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> uh, that uh, hard work, no, uh, hard decisions, easy life, easy decisions, hard life. And I think there is so much truth to that, that if you're making the hard decisions and you're actually doing them, regardless if that is breaking up with someone or applying for a job or going to the gym, if you do all of these things that you are know that you want to do, but you're actually scared of doing them, life gets easy. But if you don't break up with someone, even though you know that you're going to want to break up with someone, if you don't apply for that job you want and you never go to the gym, that's a recipe of chaos. I mean, you're definitely going to be miserable. It's going to be a hard life because you made all the easy decisions of not making the hard decisions. So I think that summarizes my way of thinking in pretty much everything that I do. I want to be a person who does the hard decisions continuously because it will bring a beautiful life in the long term. I love it so much. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Eric. I truly appreciate it. And uh, I'm definitely going to keep up with what you do with great.com. Thank you for having me, Laura. Pleasure to be back sometime. Before ending this episode, I want to highlight some lessons from my chat with Eric Bergman. Number one, we think we want something, but usually we have absolutely no idea what that is. Number two, a good goal to have is to make $1 online because it changes your mindset on how to make money. Number three, not liking something is not failing. If you didn't like it, that's okay. Move on. Number four, everyone can get rich, but no one wants to get rich slowly. And finally, do what you love, what you're passionate about. Thanks so much for listening, everyone.